Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Well, tonight, I want to tell you the story of the mystery man, Tzafnat Paneach. Tzafnat Paneach was a young man who was a victim of human trafficking. He had been sold to human traffickers. They transported him to another country. His family had abandoned him. And actually they were complicit in selling him to slave traders. He had no official identification papers. He was really an undocumented and an illegal alien. No citizenship papers from anywhere, not even his home country, no passport, no ID. He lived now in a foreign country and he was doing forced labor. It was a pretty hopeless situation, but it gets even worse because Tafnat Paneach became a convicted felon. He was imprisoned for sexual assault. Of course, he said he was innocent. The courts didn't believe him. In, in fact, he was innocent. So it was just another travesty of justice in his life. Quite a story. Tzafnat Paneas' background seemed to be nothing but trouble. And many thought he was nothing but trouble. But there was more to this young man than many people thought. In fact, some people would later say that his name meant a finder of mysteries or one who reveals mysteries. So that's why you could call him mystery man. And it's pretty much what his name meant. He had a kind of power to connect with the spiritual world and to reveal secrets and hidden knowledge to all kinds of people. He wasn't a fortune teller. He wasn't a palm reader, but he sometimes scared people by saying that he practiced divination and he could see into the future and into the hidden places of people's hearts and minds. People would tell him about strange things they'd had experienced, visions and dreams and other things. And Safnat Paneach would unravel the secret meaning. People were amazed. They would say, mystery man had incredible powers. How do you do this? People would ask. And he would just answer mysteriously, God, only knows. Surprisingly, despite the bitter circumstances of his life, he was also a hard worker. And even in prison, he worked hard. He was one of those guys who could get things done, things no one else could. Mystery man, Safnat Paneach was waiting. He was waiting for the right time, waiting for that time when he could escape from his troubled past, escape from prison life, and start a new life somehow, somewhere. And year after year, he waited, thinking the time would soon come, but it didn't. Two men he helped in prison were released, and they were in his debt. They promised to help him when they got out. And when they got out, they didn't remember him. They said that they knew powerful people on the outside. They said they would put in a good word for their old buddy to someone who could work in those ways that only the most powerful people work when they decide to get something done. They promised to help, but they didn't. And then one day, that kind of day that seemed just like any other day, on that day, 
a prison official came to him with news because apparently one of them had remembered Safnat Paneach. There was a powerful person who wanted his help. And if Safnat Paneach would help, and if he was actually useful, this could actually become his way out of prison. And so the prison officials cleaned up this mysterious prisoner. They washed him. They made him smell good. They got rid of the prison stink. They gave him new clothes. They took him out of prison. And they brought him to, to the richest and the most powerful man in the entire country. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But I will tell you something you need to know. Safnat Paneach was not the man's original name. This was the new name he was given when he got out of prison. His new boss gave him that name. His story is an amazing one. And believe it or not, it's in our Bible. Every year around Hanukkah time, we read the story of Tzafnat Paneach and the amazing things he did and the surprising ways his troubled life turned out. This week we read that the same brothers who sold him to human traffickers end up in the same room with him. And there he is face to face with the brothers who hated him so much they sold him to human traffickers. The brothers don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. These brothers are meeting with Tafnat Paneach. They're trying to make a business deal with him. He's got food to sell, and that's what they need to buy. They need Tafnat Paneach, and he's talking to them in a foreign language through an interpreter. He's now a high government official, and he looks the part. And the part is interesting. His head is shaved. He's wearing eyeliner and makeup, and they have no idea who he is. These brothers have no idea that they are talking to none other than Joseph, their brother. Joseph, the son of Jacob. Joseph, the son of Israel. It tur turns out that God has been working in incredible ways. And through the tragedies of his life, God has been working in mysterious ways. Not only is he mystery man. But God's presence has been with him through all of these times of suffering. When other people thought that Joseph's life was coming to nothing, in fact, God was with him. God was with him in prison. God was with him when he was sold into slavery. Now, how can that be? It's a mystery. That's why we can call him mystery man. What is the mystery? God knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows how to put things right that have gone wrong. He knows how to bring good out of situations that others mean for evil. He knows how to turn things upside down to flip the things that have been designed for evil and to bring good out of them. One of the great lessons of our readings about the life of Joseph is this, that we can see the trouble, we can see the suffering, we can see the sorrow that he experiences, that his father and his family experience. We can see the effects of sin. We can see the ways that the accuser 
divides families and causes people to misjudge each other and to even hate each other. The brothers of Joseph hated him and they hated him all the more. But this is the amazing thing. What the Bible does is it shines a spotlight, if you will, on those people who are keeping their eyes on the Lord, on those people who, who even in the midst of their suffering, remember that they are not abandoned. They remember that God is with them. They exercise faith. They exercise worship. They spend time in prayer. They have fellowship with the Lord. And that's what the Bible is doing for us. It's, it's shining a light on this man, Joseph, who became Tzafnat Paneach because his boss, who was Pharaoh of Egypt, liked this new name, gave him a new name, and turned him, Joseph, into an Egyptian, if you will. When Joseph, as Safnat Panech, as prime minister of Egypt, is meeting his brothers, he presents as an Egyptian. He speaks Egyptian. He has an interpreter. He acts like he doesn't understand the Hebrew of his brothers, but of course he does. And there's interesting developments that we'll read about next week. You see, in some ways, Joseph is a redeemer in disguise. He's a man of mystery. Now, some scholars say man of mystery and mysterious man and the man who reveals secrets. This isn't the right way to translate his name. It's better to translate it as savior of life or savior by food or savior of the world. It's interesting the wide variety of opinions. Whatever, whatever Pharaoh meant by it, though, it was a gracious way of describing Joseph. It was a way that gave him prominence and caused Joseph to be a man who was second only to Pharaoh. And his word had authority and it had impact. God used this man, Safnat Paneah, to save Israel, but also to save Egypt and to save many. And so it is true that he's a man of mystery. It's true that he is a man who was instrumental in bringing the salvation that came from God. The wisdom, the supernatural ability to interpret dreams, to understand mysteries that um, that Joseph had, this came not from Joseph, but from the Lord. Joseph was not a practicer of divination. He did not use the dark arts. He did not engage in witchcraft. He prayed to God and God gave him understanding. His ability was entirely dependent on the Lord. It's not that he could just do this on his own. He could do it because God was with him. You see, it's an amazing story that God is shining his light, his spotlight on Joseph. Why? Because Joseph holds on to the Lord, even in the times of suffering. It's a great lesson for us. There are many different characters in the scriptures. There are many different people. Not all of them 
are people of faith. Some are men of faith, some are women of faith, some are, are boys and girls of faith, teenagers, young adults of faith, some are old men of faith and old women of faith. And the scripture shines light on their lives so that you and I will pay very close attention to them. You see, the lesson is this, you live in a world that's broken and corrupt, that's, that's ruled by, um, by forces that are not submitted to God. However, God is still the ruler over the whole earth. And he can exercise his sovereign goodness on our behalf. And this is why we can learn something. We can learn to be patient. We can learn to be faithful. We can learn to be hopeful. We can learn to be fruitful and productive even in the worst of times and circumstances. God was with Joseph when he was in prison. God was with Joseph when he was brought out of prison. God was with Joseph when he lived many, many years without any kind of connection to his family. And God was with Joseph when he was able to see his family and to decide for himself, how would he relate to them? It was a difficult difficult experience. If you read this week's Torah portion, I encourage you to take time to read the whole story, as well as last week's Torah portion and the story of Joseph and next week. Read them slowly and in their entirety. Read them slow enough. Read them out loud to yourself if, if that helps you, or read them out loud to your husband or wife or your children or grandchildren or to your friends. Just read them out loud all by yourself. That can, that can be a great thing to do. Read in such a way that you pay a close attention to the details. And when you do, you'll recognize the struggles that Joseph had were real. He wept. He had deep emotion. He struggled with the connection with his own brothers. During the, the encounters, he was undecided what would he do with them. How would he relate to them? And it presents to us such a normal human response. But as the light is shining on Joseph, we see something. He doesn't stop with his human emotions and just engage them and um, give them ultimate authority over his life. He doesn't say that his emotions are ultimate truth for him or that his feelings, or that the way he's thinking, he doesn't allow that to have ultimate authority over him. Rather, he keeps pressing into God, and he submits his emotions. He submits his thoughts. He submits his point of view in the paradigm of life that guides him. He submits all of that to the Lord, in prayer, in fellowship with God, in dialogue with God, he draws close to the Lord with his true humanity. It's such a good lesson for us, Mishpocha. We do not need to give 
our emotions ultimate authority. Yes, we have genuine emotions and those emotions can be genuine and we need to process them. And sometimes they will process us and sometimes circumstances need to be processed. And sometimes we need to process those circumstances and other times it seems the circumstances are processing us. But even so, they do not gain ultimate authority over us. We want to give God the last word. We want to give God ultimate authority. We want to do like Joseph did and present ourselves to him like a living sacrifice, learning as we can now from the example of Yeshua, learning that Yeshua suffered and yet he redeemed. Joseph suffered and he was used as an agent of God's redemption. What a powerful lesson for us. If you and I are wondering, how can we gain the upper hand in life during these really uncertain and unstable circumstances. It's not through the arm of the flesh, Mishpacha. It's not by our might and by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God, by pressing into God, by seeking the Lord. But what happens when you're just so tired you can't go on? You know what you do? You take Shabbat and you enter into the rest of God and the refreshment of God. You let him refresh you. Sometimes, of course, What's really good to do is to take a nap or to have a good night's sleep or to just stop doing what you have been doing and rest. It's important. It's so important to not try to gain the upper hand in life through the arm of the flesh, but rather through fellowship with God. God has the upper hand. God has the ability to bring good out of even evil circumstances and evil actions. Don't lose hope, folks, just because you've been persevering. Don't lose hope because the plot line of reality doesn't match up with your expectations. If, if you have to be the master of the plot line of your life, you know what? You're not giving enough room to God. He's the master over your circumstances. Let the life of Joseph, let the life of Yeshua, let the life of all Israel be an example for us and a lesson for us. That we don't have to be in total control of everything for God to be in total control. You see, sometimes when we're at our weakest, we discover God's strength in the most powerful of ways. Sometimes when we have fallen into the most humble of circumstances and situations, that is when the victory of God can be strongest. Don't lose hope. Don't allow disappointment or the news you didn't want to get or to hear. Don't allow that to rob you of your joy because God has made a covenant with you, a covenant of peace. And he is a kingdom that includes righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. My hope for you is that you would allow the scriptures to feed you, that you would allow fellowship with the Lord to 
to feed your soul and your spirit and to strengthen you so that you take nourishment. You take spiritual nutrition and nutrition for the heart and nutrition for the mind as well through your fellowship with the Lord. And when you do this, you know what will happen? You'll start overflowing. It, it happens that way. That's the way it really works. When you fellowship with the Lord, when you abide with Yeshua and you let his word abide in you, then things change on your insides. Our desires change. Our perspective and understanding changes. The way that we think about things changes. And we learn to pray in powerful and in new ways. We learn to ask as the Lord leads us to ask, not just as our human fleshly desires may want, but as the Lord leads. And God brings forth the victory. Listen, life is not easy. If anybody tells you that all you need to do is believe in Yeshua and everything will be fine, you know the truth is that if you do believe in Yeshua, then you will go through trials and tribulations. He went through such things that caused him to suffer. And he said that, that we who are his disciples will have these kinds of experiences just like our master Yeshua did. But he said these words, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the victory of God. It's the most incredible thing. Some people were looking for a Messiah who would redeem us in a different way, but God knows how to bring real redemption to us. Folks, our hearts go out to you and to every one of you, and we're grateful to every one of you who is keeping us in your hearts. Thank you to everyone who's, who takes time to encourage us. Thank you to everyone who prays for us. Thank you for everyone who seeks the Lord on our behalf. We appreciate you doing this so much. It means so much to, to us. Thank you to everyone who, who takes time to send encouraging cards and notes. Yes, people actually still use letters and note cards to communicate heartfelt feelings. And we appreciate so much those of you who are doing that. But if you'd like to text or email, whatever, your encouragement to us makes a real difference. It does fortify us. And we hope also that we can encourage you because the scripture teaches us that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. My hope is that, that all of us at Beth Israel can refresh you, that we can encourage you so that you can refresh others. And you can refresh us too. You can encourage us too. We need you. We love you. We appreciate you. And we so love the Mishpocha of God. We're so devoted to God's family because we know this, that through life's challenges and through life's disappointments, there's also life's joys. And my hope for myself is the hope that I have for you. And that is that the joy of God would be your daily experience. 
Well, we're going to close tonight with Aaron's blessing, and then we'll have a final worship song from the Corsians. But first, I want to ask you again, would you consider a generous contribution and an extra end-of-year contribution? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. And now, Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and guard you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. So from Sandy and me, thank you for joining us tonight. Now let's return to the Korshen home for our final worship song. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <laughs>